Hey guys, this is Alec, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. So, sorry if it's a little noisier than normal, because it's been raining a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. I have to go re-deal with my laundry again. I keep forgetting to do that. But, anyway, on a different note, on a totally different note, I went to go see, and this will tie into our main thing that we're talking about today, um, but I went to go see the new live-action Aladdin, and the reason why I want to talk about this in, like, the opening is because I'm going to actually, for once, tie the opening directly into what we're talking about, like I just said, but the reason why I want to talk about the live-action Aladdin is because it's it's a weird thing, and it's a weird thing for the specific reason that lots of people have been afraid of the live-action Aladdin coming and the live-action Disney movies in general, Disney animated properties in general. And the reason for that is everyone's afraid that the live-action movies will somehow ruin the... Probably the most enduring part of those original animated works, which is not only the voice cast, but the soundtrack. And now, definitely the voice cast with something like Aladdin, which was kind of a vehicle, which was absolutely a vehicle for the late, great, legendary Robin Williams. And actually, interestingly enough, caused the rift between Robin Williams and Disney as a studio for, from what I understand, at least a decade, or the better part of a decade. But, um, he, they came up with Aladdin, not around the concept of Aladdin, but around Robin Williams as a comedian, and what, like, what Robin Williams is capable of doing, and the kind of comedy he does, and that's why he shines in that movie, it's because as much as the story is about Aladdin, it was made for the character that would eventually be the genie. And in... So the first thing that strikes you as odd is for as charismatic as Will Smith is sometimes capable of being, he was basically Big Blue Hitch in this movie. And that just doesn't, it doesn't measure up to the original Robin Williams genie performance, which, um, if you ever want to find, I think you could probably find it on YouTube, but the way that they pitched the movie to Robin Williams was one of the animators story, did a storyboard animation of the genie doing one of Robin Williams more like weirdly inappropriate <laughs> um, stand-up routines, and it made Robin Williams, like, laugh hard and loud, like, in the booth, and he was just like, yeah, sure, I, I will definitely do this, I'm all over this. Now, he had some stipulation to that, that Disney then broke, basically, they could only ever use him in 25% of the advertising, and they used him in 999% of the advertising. Um, and it caused him to not work with Disney for many, 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 many years, until 
um, I forget the name of the Disney executive who reneged on that agreement, but until that agreement, until that executive, until the head of Disney Studio at that time was fired or let go or quit or whatever, and a new head of Disney came in and, like, must have been one of the first things he did was <laughs> issue a very public and heartfelt apology to Robin Williams personally. That was when Robin Williams started being the voice of the genie occasionally again. <laughs> but it, the thing that, the other thing that the live-action Aladdin doesn't measure up to is the specific songs and soundtracks and sounds of Aladdin. And we... So, I don't know how much anybody listening to this knows about animation as a art form, which we're going to touch on in the main segment, but basically... In the traditional version of animation, you start with the soundtrack. You start with... Actually, you start with storyboarding. The way it works now is you start usually with storyboarding, and then you do... You dub in the... You dub the soundtrack, and then animators many times will animate to a soundtrack, because the animation has to work with the sound and it has to all sync up in many cases for people to find it believable. Even even anime, which in its Japanese dubs is kind of legendarily does not care about lip flaps, they try and stop talking when the character stops talking, if that makes any sense. But because let's say you have a what I always think of it as the Godzilla effect. You have a character talking, like their mouth is physically moving, and then they their mouth stops moving and the audio from them keeps going. That's a big... What that does is it splits one part of reality from another. It basically... So there's a concept in animation called the fourth dimension. The fourth dimension is time. And what that's doing is it's basically cutting the fourth dimension in two. It's not it's saying time is functioning differently on one level than another, and that takes you out of the reality. And so sound and music and VFX, which is basically sound effects like when I tap on a table, you you hear it and you when you see me tap on a table, you hear the tapping sound. And it all makes sense in your head. Now, this is different than what happened with the live-action Aladdin. What happened with the live-action Aladdin is you have, if you if you're, were a child ever in the past, since Disney was incepted, basically, you've seen Aladdin. If you haven't seen Aladdin, the live-action, the um, animated Aladdin you should probably go see it. But if if you are listening to this podcast, you have probably seen Aladdin, the Disney animated feature. Maybe if you're a crazy person, you've seen the direct-to-video thing and the cartoon and all that stuff. I'm a crazy person. But <laughs> because you've seen Aladdin, you know certain songs. You know A Friend Like Me. You know... 
um, what's it called? Um, oh man, I can a, a whole new world. Those are the you know the beginning song. The um, I think it's I can only steal what I can't afford. Um, you know those three songs from Aladdin. Those are the knockout, the knockdown, dragout, awesome songs you expect from Aladdin. You, I, you know all the songs from Aladdin, really, because the other big set piece is the Prince Ali entrance, like, parade thing. And the live-action Aladdin... So, let me start here. Let me... And I promise we'll get to the main bit, and it will make sense when we get to the main bit, I swear. But, in my opinion, the goal of a live-action version of an animated property should be to either faithfully recreate or add to the animated property in some way. And the reason why I say that is because... Look at something like Ghost in a Shell, which for all intents and purposes was a visual study on how to create Ghosts in the Shell as a live act scene, scenes from the Ghosts in the Shell property as a whole, as with real humans instead of just cartoon characters. And for me, that movie is an interesting thing to look at. Like, oh, they managed to, like, pull off this specific scene. They managed to pull off the tank arm scene that's in every variant of Ghost in the Shell. It is, like, a staple that is required. But it doesn't... That movie doesn't step up to adding to it in a meaningful way or in a good way or measuring up to the original property in a meaningful or good way. The same is true of the live-action Aladdin. Now, say what you will about the live-action Beauty and the Beast. It more or less nailed its songs. It actually added to the story overall. It fleshed out those characters in a way that they weren't in the animated movie. And so that makes it actually a pretty good success. It still had the problems of the, of the animated movie, and it doesn't need to exist, but it's actually nice that it does, because it adds to the overall story of Beauty and the Beast that most people know. And, but with Aladdin, because Aladdin was so critically a star vehicle for Robin Williams, and it was arguably one of the first animated movies sold on the back of a celebrity cast member in in that one being Robin Williams the character a the character of the genie has to support a lot and just bottom line is Will Smith's blue hitch doesn't do it most times he just doesn't he he can't it's weird to hear him sing, attempt to sing these classic songs like the beginning song, the Arabian Nights song. The um, it's weird to hear him sing, attempt to sing, "Never Had a Friend Like Me." Um, but those songs don't. And it's even weirder to sing, 
to hear him sing the Prince Ali entrance sing. But those songs don't... They don't stand up when you play the original. They don't... They don't even have a quality of their own that you would want to listen to by themselves. Like, if I think about... um. Only steal what I only steal what I can't afford. That song I don't know the actual name of it. I want to listen to that song, and I see that sequence in my head when I'm listening to it. That's a powerful piece of media. When I think about the only steal what I can't afford song in the live action movie, I just get kind of sad because. I can't remember most of it, how they fit it in. The chase through the Medina isn't really fleshed out or imaginative in the way that it was in the animated movie. And yes, some of that is due to the animated movie can do things with its character physically that like the loss of insurance lawsuits about doing with characters in live action. But the other thing is it's it's just it's attempting to and I'm not gonna say that Aladdin's perfect because nothing is perfect. I can make a state a uh, a case for nothing is perfect, but that's a thing for another time and maybe not even on the podcast. But it it doesn't it doesn't Aladdin is so imaginative and it is so effortlessly funny and effortlessly charismatic and like they do so much with so many references to so many different Disney properties. I mean there's a scene in the scene when the genie is making Aladdin into a prince. At one point, he just pulls Sebastian out of, like, a cookbook and throws him to the side. It's a two-second sight gag, but it registers. To the point when he pulls out, like, Duck a la King, and it looks like Daffy Duck in a crown, and he throws it, and he throws it behind him. There's another point where his head turns into Pinocchio. And the nose grows, because he's talking about, like, Aladdin lying about setting him free. And, like, those little references are, like, perfect, weaved in effortlessly. They are clearly, like, they play on your kid reptile product brain, but they work. The other thing about this is, they like, the live-action movie... Aside from not having those visuals and those song and those music cues, it just doesn't. It doesn't feel as imaginative. There's, there's a scene where Jafar turns into a giant snake in the first movie. That is a cliff by Iago, who I should point out does not talk, which is such a loss. Um, and once again. By not having Iago talk. Well, he talks a little, but he talks more like a parrot talks and less like a parrot what talks like a human. And that... So, like, the entire time the entire time you're seeing Jafar alone, there's no one to play off Jafar, there's no one to be a foil to Jafar, there's no voice to the side of Jafar being like, well, 
this is your fault, asshole. It, it, and you miss that, you miss the kind of, like, constant bantery soundtrack of Gilbert Godfrey as Iago. Um, and I thought that was an odd choice, especially being how much they could have just done that, and people would have been like, no, that, like, that's supposed to be there. That's supposed to be there. It makes sense. And just the whole thing, not just visual, certainly visually, but mostly from a, like, VFX soundtrack audio perspective just doesn't measure up. And it, when I came out of it, I was like, that was really disappointing. And I knew it was because of the music and the way they handled the audio. But that got me thinking about animation and how dependent animation is on the soundtrack that backs it. If you see a anime that doesn't have a... So, a perfect example. If you've ever watched the Japanese release of... Let's take a recent show. Um, Dimension W. There is an opening... The opening to the Japanese version of Dimension W is amazing. And it is all about the song married with the animation of, like, of the main character dancing and all of the, and, um, to that song and how they think up the interspersed scenes that they use in animation, that they use for the opening. It's an amazing opening. They cut that opening from the English dub. Probably because they couldn't get the right the music, and they didn't want to do something like they did to, um, what's it called? To Eden of the East. Now, Eden of the East has an equally amazing opening with an Incubus track as the backing track. But because um, Funimation couldn't get the rights to, to an American band song that was recorded for a Japanese cartoon, they took a some generic pop idol song and stuck it in back. And if you see it, if you see it without having seen the Incubus back version, it feels off, but it doesn't feel so off that it feels wrong. But if you see it after seeing the Incubus back version of the opening for that show, it feels wrong. And that's important because you know what it could have been. So another version of this is Speed Graffer. Speed Graffer, the opening is originally done to, I think it's David Bowie's Girls on Film. I think David Bowie's the one who wrote that song. I suck sometimes, I'm sorry. But then they replace it with like a techno track. And even though Girls on Film doesn't sync up perfectly, it makes such sense for the show and it works, still works extremely well with the opening animation is that it feels good to watch it. There's a couple other ver versions of that, of them basically not getting the rights to music and still having to put something in the opening and just not, just not nailing it and not doing a good job. And now that doesn't mean they should completely act the opening the way they do on Dimension W, which just like holy like. What the fuck did you do? That's wrong. 
Um, but the, the my point remains that the music of stuff you remember is important, and if remakes tend to fuck that up, then it will take a lot of heavy lifting to make it worth it. That, once again, that's why the Steve Aoki remix of the Ghost in the Shell opening scene just feels bad. But, alternatively, if you swap that with the opening to the first girl with the dragon tattoo, it worked. The first girl with the dragon tattoo's opening scene, opening, like, opening credits, work better in front of the live-action Ghost in the Shell than the actual live-action Ghost in the Shell credits because it feels more correct, in my brain at least. So, without further ado or ranting about bad Disney live-action remakes, um, I want to get to our main to our main topic today, and that that topic is a kind of odd one. And that is Interstellar 555. Stop. We're gonna celebrate. 
Interstellar 555 is kind of an animator dream, that makes any sense. Because generally the way, like I said in the opening, generally the way animation was traditionally made was a soundtrack was established and you animate to the soundtrack. Sometimes you dub in voices after the fact, but traditionally if you're doing like a voiceless animation and you're just using sound effects you animate to those sound effects or to that track because that's the way you can get it you can get animation to sync the hand animation to sync up perfectly with the soundtrack on a like on a second by second level and that's really important and a lot of work is done in modern animation to make that seem seamless in like a 
backwards way. Like, we have the animation, now we need to do voiceover, and we need to do VFX work to match it. And, like, this means going frame by frame, seeing where an action starts and where an action ends. There, and to this effect, when you learn animation in art school, which I have done, um, there's an exercise that you that you do at some point. It's called an anajam, and an anajam is basically a bunch of animators work together to produce an animation. Lots of times, it's done silently because you don't want a soundtrack to get in the way, but when it's done with a soundtrack, people will go to a certain point in the soundtrack, stop, and then hand it to the next person. That person will go to the next point in the soundtrack and stop and hand it, and so on and so on and so on. And that's a more controlled version of an anajam, but it's a really good way of teaching versatility, timing, um, collaboration, which are all and and collaboration, which are all vital parts of being an animator, because it, it is rare, and I can't express to you how rare it is to be a solo animator with a lot of clout. There are people who do it, especially in the age of YouTube and that kind of thing, but the vast majority of animators work in big studios or they work as freelancers who go from studio to studio to studio because the cost of creating animation, even with the ceiling brought lower by technology, is still insane, even if you think about time. For someone to create a couple seconds of animation, you need an iPad and a stylus. That's not hard. But for someone to create, like, hours of animation, you need a lot of software, a lot of time, which means you need a lot of money, because you also have to eat. Trust me. Not eating. Bad. But, uh, and the art form of animation actually, and near as people can tell, kind of originated in, in France. So, enter, at this point, Daft Punk. Now, I'm not going to take you through the whole timeline of animation, that's insane. Um, Bambi happens, and anime eyes, all thing. But, Daft Punk released, um, released an album, I think, called Live 1997. And, anime has different form, has had different um, forms of popularity in different cultures. For example, um, when Lupin, Lupin the Third is very popular in Italy, and that is part, and that is part of the reason that Lupin, the the fifth season of Lupin, came out in Italy first. It didn't even come out in Japan first. It came out in Italy first. We've seen this with us, where the Big O came out in America first. I'm pretty sure. Um, uh, and even if things don't come out first, many times they gain popularity primarily in another country. For example, Trigun, the like, show we all think of in Infamy, in Infamy and Whisper About with Legend, that 
gained popularity primarily in America because it has very Western themes, very Western concepts. It's got this, like, kind of high sci-fi gritty vibe along with a old-school country-western feel. Um, Cowboy Bebop is another show that really took off in um, the Western world before it was really super popular and sought after in Japan. Not to say that these shows weren't known, they just weren't popular. But, all in all, America has been slower than many other countries to realize that anime is a thing. Um, one of the countries that took it in, that that took it seriously quicker was France. And once again, France has a rich tradition of, you know, art and artistry that's been around since France was France. And that means that they've always been into animation and they've always looked at animation as an art form. And that makes it no surprise when um, Daft Punk, the dudes with the techno helmets and the, and the good music, approached um, the create. I know he's the creator of Captain Harlock, um, Galaxy Express, uh, Leiji Matsumoto, Matsumoto, and said, you know, we want you to make a movie out of an album. Basically make a, a video album, if you will, out of Live 1997, which you can go and you can go and you can listen to this album. I'll have picked two songs, one for the end, one for the beginning. Um, but you can go listen to this album on all the streaming services. It is if you don't know Daft Punk, Daft Punk is like a band you should know, especially if you're into anime. Um, but so. The way I first encountered Interstellar 555 was not the way it was quote-unquote intended to be viewed. The way I first encountered it was on a programming programming block that MTV used to air in the late 90s, early 2000s. And that programming block was Anim- was all about animated music videos, and this is where I first encountered the gorillas. This is where I inc- first encountered the bane of lots of people's existence: Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, Californication video, which is like a proto video game thing, and also where I encountered Interstellar Five Five Five. But, and this is really important. The thing about music videos on TV is, unless you were like Michael Jackson or Prince, MTV was not going to take a whole movie you gave them, like a 15-minute long movie, and play it back-to-back without interrupting it. Just because of commercials, the way their network works, the way... 
people who program those video lineups want to do their job, and that's fine. But what that means is is that stuff is that stuff like an hour long visual album produced by Lazy Masamoto and Daft Punk is chopped up into into like song sized pieces that stand out as this this is a music video now this is a music video now this is a music video now and uh, so the thing that everybody most likely saw at the time was the quote unquote be- music video which was actually the beginning of Interstellar 555 for one more time <laughs> And it's this, just like this party scene. But the other thing that happened a lot is occasionally somebody would get a bug in their bonnet and be like, no, we need to show more than just one more time. And you'd get the second section. You'd get the third section. And like eventually just watching MTV through osmosis, you'd be able to like either see all of them separate or see all of them in a rare case in the whole run. And you'd be like, oh, shit. This is a whole story. But the other thing that you notice is that not only the whole story, but it's not... The music doesn't always sync up with A, what's going on, B, the action beats, and these, like, mouth movements. But when it does, it's, like, near magical. So the first thing you encounter, the first scene of the movie is um the one more time the one more time yeah the one more time um song and and the band Interstellar 555 um is performing the song I forget the actual band's name they, they have a name but they're performing the song and then you're interrupted by I forget what the name of the I forget what the name of all the specific songs are, but you're inter- interrupted by another song from Spy Shenanigans. They all get kidnapped, ending with the like space station sending out a stress signal to this guy. And then you hear "Dream About You," and he's singing the lyrics, and that all syncs up perfectly. And that's the last time that the whole thing syncs up perfectly. So, here's where we get to why I ranted about syncing up sound and that improving the quality of an animation in the in the beginning of the podcast. It's because there are points where not syncing, like, the sound, not matching the visuals does a disservice to the whole thing here, but for the most part, because Lazy Masamoto treated this more like he was just making a movie that snapped together as a music video, it feels better than if it was attempting, than if it was truly attempting and just failed constantly. But the thing where that doesn't where you feel like you're missing out is 
when you think back to I Had a Dream About You, and you see the scene where he's power-washing his space guitar, which is a giant guitar floating in space, and it's his, like, mother mothership, and he's power-washing it, and he's, ta- and he's singing this song about his... Be- about his beautiful girl who sings in a band who just got kidnapped and he doesn't know. And just like that scene and like the first three scenes fit really well with the music and everything kind of, um, sorry about the clang on my desk, but, um, everything fits together perfectly and it, it makes you feel kind of disappointed when all the other stuff doesn't like perfectly mesh together, that and I want to be clear, the whole thing is worth watching, and you can watch it in a variety of places. The easiest place to watch it is you can straight up search Interstellar, and it's important that you use Stella five 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 on YouTube, and basically the first thing that comes up is the full movie, uploaded I believe legally by Toei. Because you can go and you can buy a Blu-ray of this of this movie, but not really a point. Um, because it, like I said, it's it's when it came out, it was a modern curiosity. Now it's a historical curiosity, and it's this it's this meeting of the minds of bizarre animator and director and a bizarre musical duo. And, like, it, when when we think about celebrity DJs, probably close to the original ones were Daft Punk. And for those of you who don't know about Daft Punk, a little history on them is they are a um, techno music duo from France no one has, the only time anyone's ever remembered seeing their faces publicly is a blurry photo from, like, 1972 or something, where you can kind of make them out, but not really. And they wear these, like, robot helmets with LED screens in them, so, like, the one of them has, like, an LED Cyclops eye band, and it, like, that plays saying the other one has a whole LED front panel on his face, and that, like, that displays graphics and things. And their concerts are some of the more legendary concerts of all time. <laughs> and, they, and they have this distinct visual style along with a distinct audio style that has changed somewhat, but is always consistent, which is really cool. And the fact that they went the way of having a full length, of having an hour and five minute long anime movie produced to go with one of their albums in 2003 is bonkers. Like, really bonkers. And it, once again, it's really worth watching just to see, like, oh shit, like, this is just creative people who, like, 
dupe their studios into letting them do something really cool and awesome because they wanted to and they were lucky enough to have the means to. And it... So... I... The re the other reason I want to talk about this is because kind of joy to this movie and this to to this movie and this thing and the kind of joy to animated music videos in general. If you look at any of the music videos from the Gorillas, which are all animated, because um Della Soul proceeded to lie to us for a generation and just say like, no, the Gorillas aren't us, but they totally were. Um, that, that band has, like, had, that band has a career, and that, they are, like, a, they're basically, they're fake, and I think it was, in David Letterman's last year, he had Hatsune, Hatsune Miku on as a musical guest, and she's a virtual idol. And there are virtual idols, like, topping YouTube charts now. And I guess what I want to say is that the, those things have always been there. They've just been on the fringe. And now they've come slightly more center stage than they were. And I actually, um, so I did a, in my pursuit for continuing education, I took a continuing ed class where I made a magazine. And one of the things we were supposed to do was do a design for a editorial article. And the editorial article, I two editorial articles I chose were, actually the three editorial articles I chose were, one was on Joseph Gordon-Levitt, another was on um, hip-hop, was on, um, I think hip-hop fashion, and the third one was on fake idols, like fake musical groups, and I did that, I did the, like, the zinger of that one was the, um, AKB48, like, super member that they created a while back, who no one knew was real until people slowly, like, started seriously looking at the footage in, like, a creepy way, where they, like, took the nose of one girl, the eyes of another, the, like, lips of another, the, like, chin of another, the hair of, like, five other girls, and they, like, made this, like, human that appeared in interviews. <laughs> um, but, I, that has always been possible, and there's a thing called, that goes, art imitates life, and this Interstellar 555 as, like, a property, it certainly not trying to Im imitate our life, but trying to imitate it's using life to create a story. And the story is actually... It's straightforward, but with, like, a twist that you don't see fucking coming. Um, which, if you want to go watch it, definitely go watch it. It's free to go watch. It's a good hour to spend. If you like like me, like doing something else while you watch stuff, you can totally do that. You won't miss out at all, and there'll be great music to do stuff to. Um, 
But basically, this, so spoiler alert, if you want to go watch it, go watch it and come back. But basically, the overall plot is Space Man super popular. Space Man gets kidnapped by Mysterious Man in a cloak. And then Space Man gets brainwashed, spray tanned, and forced to be slaves to the to Earth's like record record contract recording system, like the primarily the American variant of it. <laughs> and becomes super popular. And you find out that they're, like, seemingly evil producer. A is evil. B was the dude in the cloak. C has been doing this for generations upon generations upon decades upon generations. And has been, like, concocting some plan to rule slash destroy the world that involves A, gold records, and B, a real... Like, not human, because the uh, um, space band is not human, but, like, a real sentient woman <laughs> being installed into a fire cylinder in the center of the Earth. And it's just, like, it's this wild, weird sci-fi story that, like, Lazy Masamoto was just able to make... Because Daft Punk was like, here's this hit record, go for it, dude. And I think their only caveat was, we want to be in one scene. Because of the scene where they're at, I shit you not, an award show called, which, as far as I can tell, the fucking Grammy, called the Gold Record Awards. And the entire thing is done as if it was, like, a blend of the 70s and the future. <laughs> which is also great. And at the Gold Record Awards, one of the nominees for a for a, that loses is just Daft Punk, and they show all the nominees in the audience, so they're hoping like, oh, you won't really notice this. But then they show Daft Punk, and they're just like, yeah, we're here, and it's really great. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if you are at all interested in Interstellar Five 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 or anything I've talked about, definitely. Go seek it out. It's worth it. It's free. Don't don't fall for the trap. Don't do it. Don't fall for the trap of watching it on Amazon Prime because you can definitely rent it. Although I bet if you rent it there, the opening interview is subtitled, which might be important to you. I did. I like knew like oh yeah, that's Lady Matsumoto and that Daft Punk, and they like made this thing together. But otherwise, you can. That, if you understand Japanese, that interview is still on all versions I've seen of it, so you can go watch that anywhere. But, um, I watched it on YouTube, and it's available for free on YouTube. It doesn't even have any ads. Actually, I think it might have ads. The ads are just malfunctioning, so they don't play. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, go check it out. It's totally worth your time. It's fun. It's some damn good music. Um, and yeah, it, it it's it's like a weird piece of anime history, and it's a weird piece of my childhood because I kept like 
when that animated when that animated block of music videos was on, I would like wait for one more time, like my life depended on. It. I'm like, oh please, please, please let one more time be on the be like on this run. And if it wasn't, I would just be like, fuck it's bullshit. Um or uh, the other one I would always want is Around the World, which is, I think, somewhere in there, but I'm not sure. No, Around the World is a live-action video, but I also like that video from them. But still. Um, so, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy this episode, I would totally recommend that you subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. I'm on pretty much all of them. Um... And definitely on the podcast platform, your podcast platform of choice. If it allows you to rate me, give me a five-star rating. That helps people find the show. Um, but until next time, I've been Alex, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio, and I'll talk at you later. It's been much too long. I feel it coming on. The feelings in my bones. It's been much too long. I feel it coming on. The feelings getting strong. It's been much too long. I feel it coming on. The feelings in my bones. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? Can you feel it? Can you feel it? Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. At last, the long way is over. The weight is off my shoulders. I'm taking off control, yeah. My, my mind is set so free. I'm where I want to be to get the best of me. Can you
Can you feel it? 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 Can you feel it?